Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. And we are live. Another brand new episode of Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network coming to you from the Jim Plunkett Studio in the heart of the downtown Severna Park Business District on the bucolic western shore of Maryland in the vicinity of the banks of the semi-historic Magothy River. You are listening and watching Maryland's leading political program, Red Maryland Radio. I am your host, Brian Griffiths. With me in studio, as always, Greg Klein. Good to be here. Was there a warching in there that I hear? Warching? You're warching. It's like you warch your hands, right? No. Maybe that's what you do. the show. <laughs> we do have. Let's a, get right to the show. No witty banter. A lot to talk about here tonight. We're going to talk about extensively about the Kerwin Commission recommendations. The, yes, the we fiscal, are. Um, the fiscal zoo that that's going to be. The Ides of October are upon us, my friends. And wow, they uh, they weren't kidding either. The uh, we're talking about the Bay Bridge redecking and how a certain county executive, a certain wealthy horseman, if you will. Um, has kind of stepped in it a little bit, and I don't think people have really kind of picked up on it. And then we got the poll results at the end of the show. We do. All that and more on tonight's Red Maryland Radio. Of course, and we more. start tonight on a somber note. Uh, yes. All of us woke up this morning to the news that Congressman Elijah Cummings had passed away. He had been uh, he had been out of Congress with a with an illness. Um, he had been missed a bit of time, but there was even an article yesterday in The Sun, Greg, talking about how he expected to be back soon. I don't think the... the illness itself was ever announced but it was uh, quite a shock this morning to learn that the congressman had died yeah it was a surprise and uh, there's a lot to unpack and a lot that'll uh unfurl as we go along but i think today's at least for today i don't know if we'll get to the end of today we really won't but at least for today we you know remember a long-serving congressman someone who was uh at the center of uh politics here in maryland someone who was a a leader in the civil rights era. Certainly a lot of us on the uh, Republican side disagreed with uh, Re- uh, Representative Cummings on many things, and he was a very partisan, hardcore left-wing uh, leader in the in the uh, House of Representatives. Um, so we, we certainly remember that. But, um, you know, he, uh, he had a wife and a family, and people cared about him, and, and he was a he was a human being who, in his life, did some pretty extraordinary things, and uh, we should remember that. Indeed, indeed, there'll be time for uh, there'll be time for talking about the political fallout of that much later on. I'm sure we'll talk about it more extensively on next week's show. Though I will say, some opportunists, some opportunists rather, have already. Well, when we get to the poll the results, we'll yeah. have an opportunity to touch on a little bit then, because we'll get to it. But yeah, so. Uh, Yes. Thoughts and prayers to to Maya Rocky Moore Cummings and the entire Cummings family on the loss of their uh, loss of their husband, their their father, their uh, their kin. So absolutely, and the folks who worked with him and knew him and um, loved him, uh, absolutely, indeed. So let's talk about Kerwin. Uh, the Kerwin Commission recommendations, the financial recommendations, came out on Tuesday, the Ides of October, October fifteenth, as Greg pointed out, and they're not good which is not a surprise to to anybody. I wrote a piece over at redmaryland.com uh, just kind of talking about them. The, the real yeah. the real thing here, the real thing I want to focus on that was kind of the, the big news story from Tuesday was the county-by-county county breakdown, not just of what each 
county was going to get in its new state contribution. But what the county itself, though, or the county-like entities, Baltimore uh, City, of course, being treated like a county, what those jurisdictions would be expected to increase their local share by. Now, well, it, put it in a little context, because sure. what this work group was coming up with was uh, they'd approved this implementation over 10 years right. of uh, $4 billion. And by the way, the, the reporting on this is very, very misleading. It's Incredible. $4 billion per year at when it's fully implemented. Yes. And you're going to get very close to that four. when we've talked about this in the past. You're going to get very close to that $4 billion per year within a couple of years. Yes. Okay, so if you look over the 10 years and the governor talked about this in his response, the governor's been dead on on this whole issue. You're talking about adding tens of billions of dollars to uh, the the already existing structural deficit. All of this money on top of the mandated spending that the legislature has already passed that is growing every year. So we're talking we're not talking about four billion dollars over 10 years we're not talking about this five percent increase of growth at some place that's a very misleading report this is a huge huge uh increase and right. one of the things that this work group had to decide and and they came out with and i'll let brian get sure. into the details of it is how do they break that down between what the counties and particular counties in particular are going to have to come up with and then what they're going to get in aid from the state right and the numbers are huge, and some of them are absurd. And I'll turn it over to Brian there. So that's what the breakdown was that they came up with. Yeah, not every county is going to have to increase their their local share, which is kind of fascinating to a certain extent, particularly when you look at some of the counties that are not having to increase their share, including Howard County, which is one of, if not the richest counties in the country. Um, they're already exceeding their local share recommendations to the tune of, what is that, $230 million uh, every year. Uh, that is that is a not insignificant sum of money. Now, they're not going to be able to cut back. They're not going to be able to reduce their share. They're still going to be expected to continue the maintenance of effort of what they're already contributing. But quite a few counties, Greg, don't have to add a single penny in local contributions, which is going to be a tremendous benefit for those counties. Now, why is that a tremendous benefit? Because some other counties are going to have to see astronomical increases in their local contribution. Um, We're talking about as much as 99%, almost doubling the local contribution from Baltimore City, their current contribution level is $331.8 million. Their expected contribution under the local share under Kerwin is $661.2 million. So Baltimore City is being expected to come up with $330 million basically out of whole cloth. Which the mayor there has, this. Which the mayor there and other leaders have said <laughs> it doesn't exist. There's no way to get that. Forget having to raise taxes to it. They couldn't even do it if they wanted to. Well, let's talk about that for a second. If they what were saying. if they were going to do that, you're right. They would have to raise all sorts of local taxes. This goes yeah. back to a lot of things that we've talked about, and I detailed this in the piece at redmaryland.com. I Are you done with this chart or are you going to come back? I am done with the chart. Okay. Um, is the fact that Baltimore City – and Baltimore City is the most egregious example of this because yes. we have talked extensively about how Baltimore City's economy – uh, has been basically the well has been poisoned 
by city government and by city government's relationship with wealthy interests that get sweetheart deals from city government. And we've talked about these before. Pilots, payments in lieu of taxes. Uh, we've talked about these before where it's there are TIFs, tax increment financing. All of these gimmicks that Baltimore City has used to try to grease the economy, um, yeah, trying trying to grease business and trying, trying to, to grow the city of Baltimore. The problem with these things is the fact that it takes taxable property out of the pool when it comes to uh, collecting property taxes. When you combine that with Baltimore's extensive nonprofit interests, because remember, nonprofits cannot have their property taxed. So you're talking about every church in Baltimore City that has a tax exempt status, but you're also talking about Johns Hopkins University and Johns Hopkins Hospital and all the other nonprofit, not for profit hospitals in Baltimore City and every other large scale nonprofit entity. You're talking about huge swaths of Baltimore City not being charged property taxes. And right. this is one of the things that happened, if you remember, in 2018, Maryland, the state of Maryland, bailed out Baltimore City's education, you know, education system. They bailed out the schools to the tune of $130 million because Baltimore did not raise enough property tax revenue to cover the to cover all of the money they needed to pay uh, for public education. You're talking about now doubling their existing contributions. So who's actually going to wind up getting holding the bag for Baltimore City schools if this Kerwin plan goes into full effect? It ain't going to be Baltimore City. It's going to be you and me and everybody else sure. who's a taxpayer of every other county in the state of Maryland. I'd also be remiss at this point if I didn't point out, Greg, and then I'll turn it over to you for some thoughts. I know, I know where you're going with this. Is it's the in fact, your piece. Yeah, is the fact that part of this deal, remember last week we talked about the Pimlico deal right? and how Baltimore City had negotiated this deal with the Stronach Group, $350 million in, in bonds floated by the state of Maryland to renovate uh, Laurel Park but also tear down and replace Pimlico. As part of this complex of deals, the Stronach Group was donating that land to a nonprofit entity controlled by Baltimore City. So at the same time, Baltimore City can't pay its bills. They need state bailouts in order to fund their school system. They're being asked to fund their school system twice as much as they are now, while, by the way, population is declining while businesses are leaving Baltimore City. Right. And they are also trying to get the state to sign off on a deal that will donate even more parts of Baltimore City, which, by the way, those parts will become much more lucrative if this deal went into place and would generate more property tax revenue. They're trying to do that as well and get the state to sign off on that. There are just so many moving pieces right now, and that's just Baltimore City. That doesn't take into account Montgomery County, which is being asked to spend more to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. Correct. Prince George's County is being asked to spend more to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Anne Arundel County is being asked to spend more to you know $95 million. Goes back, if you remember last year, we talked about how uh, Stuart Pittman, the county executive here, had found a loophole around the property tax cap. Well, guess what? Now that he's kind of driven... Uh, you know, driven a tanker through that through that loophole. He's already got a loophole to try to raise taxes to fund this $95 million. 
This entire plan is a complete mess and is really going to stick it, not just to the counties, but, of course, it's going to stick it to you and me, the taxpayer. Yeah, and and that's the other piece of it. You, you have these localities who are going to have to kick in. And the reason some of them in the chart that Brian had and the thing, and you can get real wonky with this. And, and again, our friends at the Conduit Street Podcast who have a more objective view of this, even though they represent the counties. So this angle is one they talk about a lot, uh, get into a lot more detail. And you can get you can get lost in the detail. So we'll link it. They and don't you get can, lost in the sauce on this. You could, you can definitely, um, you can definitely do that and look at more detail, but look, a lot of this is coming down to the county. Some of the counties, as Brian points out, have already started raising taxes and implementing some of the stuff in anticipation, which is why on paper, at least what's coming out of here, the numbers aren't as stark because they've already started spending right. it. They're getting ahead of this a little bit, which is why they raised taxes, folks. They knew what Kerwin was going to be. That's why Johnny O and Stuart Pittman and Calvin Ball have been raising taxes um, when when they got into office and started and started implementing this because they knew the blueprint was there, which right. is another reason it's so frustrating. But there's still a huge piece of this that's going to come from the state. And and oh, yeah. and the, the Kerwin Commission is going to spend is going to send a spending recommendation, a, a guideline for implementation, where that money is going to go. The the vast majority of it, as we said multiple times, we don't have to beat a dead horse. It's going to go to hiring more teachers, paying more teachers, uh, teacher salary. That's that's the vast vast majority where this money is going, um, and what this is all about. There there are no recommendations, and it's not anticipated that the Kerwin Commission will give any recommendation to the legislature as to how they are going to pay for this. Hold that thought. We'll get back to that. Um, so this is so you've got you've still got. Uh, it's somewhere around $2.7 billion a year that the state's going to have to come up with after shunting all this down to the counties. Right. And and just to finish up the idea on the county things, because Senator Hershey had a great tweet today that we retweeted, you know, um, I think it was Kent County is expected to come up with $8.6 million of local increased spending, and they're going to get like $2.6 million additionally from the state. So is a locality like that going to raise... $8 million in taxes so they can get three more from the state? Why would they do that? No. Um, and there's some of these absurd results. Montgomery's another one. They're going to be expected to raise like 250. Um, the numbers are round. We can, you can, we'll put the link. You can look at the actual numbers. But they're basically, they're basically getting as much from the state as they're expected to kick in. Right. And then you have this crazy number from Baltimore City. So even though Baltimore City's getting a lot more money as well, um, Kerwin is putting up, and this is what's so fascinating about this, because not only are you going to have state-level taxes that are going to have to increase, which is going to be all kinds of problems, the the whole thing behind this Kerwin Commission and this particular work group was to work out these, these spending, um, th- these um, formulas, so that t- to try to build some political consensus. Because if the Baltimore delegation... <laughs> is is not on board with this program if the montgomery county delegation is not on board with this program prince george's if prince george's county. county is not on board with this program it ain't gonna pass and by the way important thing to remember mind everybody right now where is the senate president from calvert prince county. george well but originally he's from prince george's county right. and he has strong political connections to prince george's county though put a pin in that because they have a they have a caucus meeting coming up and nobody knows what the agenda is so well 
that is I'll leave it to others to speculate on that. But likely any replacement would come from one of those major things. So, of course. So it, it creates as much problems as as it, now let's talk about the tax increase part. Sure. Because this is the part everybody listening to this needs to be aware of. This is not a and this is why the governor has been opposed. If, if you're not following the governor on Facebook and Twitter, you need to do that. Because I don't care if you're a conservative and you don't like the governor's position on A, B, C, and D. You don't like what he says about Trump. You don't like you don't think he's doing enough about this. This issue, he is dead, red, dead center on. Right down the middle, conservative as a day is long, opposing Kerwin, calling it a half-baked idea. He's opposing any tax increases. He is, his feet are in the ground, and he is going to take on all comers to oppose this. And the Democrats are assailing him. The media is assailing him. He's raising money to have a media campaign to take his message directly to the voters because mm-hmm. he has to. Right. Because the Sun and the Post are going to be carrying water for the Democrats. No, they're not going to be carrying water. They for already them. are. They are. They are. They are going to be carrying water for the Democrats, so he has to do that. He is He is all in, in in the political fight that will probably define his governorship. Yes. Okay? And if the Democrats are able to get this passed the way that Kerwin's recommending it, which seems difficult but they have the numbers if they want to force it through they're going to number one they're going to have an extraordinary political price to pay oh yeah and they're going to own it and a lot of these tax increases are going to be implemented right before the 2022 elections that's a good point we should mention that that's something that we didn't mention as, as it relates the, the, to the counties the, this county stuff is going to have to be fully implemented and and maxed out at what they have to contribute in place before 2022 right so you got a lot of counties like Baltimore County, like Anne Arundel County, some of whom have already raised taxes massively, again, why they got out in front of it, who may be having to look at tax increases again. And again, we talked about this before. The rumors are the legislature may may um, uh, soften or, or loosen the limit on the piggyback local income tax rate. Okay. Brian talked about the property tax where you have tax caps that people are trying to get around them for this stuff. You know, there's another round of huge tax cuts that are or tax increases, I should say, that are coming down the pike. Oh, yeah. And, and this is this is going to be really critical, um, not just for local races come 2022, but the gubernatorial race as well. If you have a Republican who's running in lockstep with what Hogan is doing and opposing this, whatever the ultimate result is, and you have Democrats who own this and have to raise taxes and ultimately have passed this. You've got a recipe for some real big Republican gains in places like Howard and Anne Arundel and Baltimore County, especially with especially with a fair legislative districts after Governor Hogan hopefully can can implement some some meaningful legislative redistricting reform. And oh, by the way, do you have about the gubernatorial race, Greg? Yeah, the leading candidates, people who are probably the most likely leading candidates right. to run for governor. Um, you know, Peter Franchot's not doesn't have to talk about raising taxes, but when he's he starts talking about right. Angela also Brooks and Johnny O right. and Calvin Ball and some of these other folks who are yeah. out there. Um, and certainly any legislators who are thinking about running. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to have to own this. They're going to have this. And, now, and So let's let's talk about that a little sure. bit because because Brian linked as well. If you go to our show page, it's got the Washington. It's not up there yet, but it will be. OK, it will be. We'll put this up and link to the show page. So the Washington Post did something similar to what uh, our friends at Goucher College did. Uh, a few weeks ago that we talked about they did a poll and they polled uh and we've got the we've got the methodology here 860 residents which included 819 registered voters okay 
So a little that it not you know a little hinky, better than just adults, which is what uh, Goucher did, right? But not much better, frankly. Uh, four and a half point percentage point margin of error here. Okay, and they asked them questions, and they went into a little bit more detail about um, about the the Kerwin, what's going on, and their feelings on stuff. So. It, Stick with us here. This there's a couple this questions gets, we really want to highlight. Weird, okay, there's a couple questions we really want to highlight. Number four, which wasn't part of the news report, I think some of the news reporting. Um, how so? They ask about Hogan. Have you heard or read about Hogan setting up political groups that that could accept unlimited and anonymous donations to further his agenda? Have you read? Have you heard or read a lot, a little, or nothing at all? Eighty-one percent said nothing at all. Now see. Yeah. This is how the media and the Democrats are trying to undermine the governor's argument. The governor's going around raising money through Change Maryland and PACs, perfectly legal, perfectly within the system, the same system that the Democrats are using to support these things, right? to raise money to go on air and buy TV ads and do everything that he needs to do to get his message out to oppose this, because he knows what this is going to mean. Okay. By the way, the governor... Out today again, 70% approval ratings. I mean, what, this is – the governor knows what is popular with the, with the general public here in Maryland. Most folks haven't heard anything about that. Right. So the Democrats know they got their work to do here trying to – because they want to delegitimize the governor's argument before he makes it. Right. Because it's funded by dark money and corporate interest and blah, blah, Which, blah. Which, again, as I have pointed out repeatedly, certain – People, the Baltimore Sun editorial board being one of them, continuing to lament Governor Hogan doing this while at the same time remaining silent on Democratic-funded dark money groups like Smart Schools Maryland right. that doing the exact same don't, are doing the exact same thing. But that's okay because they're on, you know. And the teachers' the union right spending millions of dollars for this as well to fund a program that literally is going to put the money is going to go pocket. money into their members' pockets. I mean, that's it's it that is what they're doing. Now, the next question they ask is do you approve or disapprove okay so we do you approve of hogan using political groups that can accept unlimited donations to further his agenda so we first so that's said, how they phrased it yeah so first we say you have people who have no idea what we're talking about right but what do you think about it this is almost a push poll kind of thing because number one it doesn't ask politicians in general it doesn't ask right democrats doing the same thing or teachers unions 56 percent say they disapprove because it sounds bad right Okay, so we go on down, and I, I don't want to go through every question, but here's a couple that are important. How much of anything have you heard or read about the Kerwin Commission on State Education Funding? Have you heard or read a lot, a little, nothing at all? 62%, nothing at all. Nothing. 31%, a little. So 93% know very, very little about what's going if on with this Kerwin Commission. You people watching this, reading Red Maryland, are in a very elite group right now in yes. Maryland. Okay, which is why the battle has not yet begun in earnest. Just keep that in mind. Okay, here's the next question. Kerwin Commission recommends major new programs aimed at improving Maryland's public school system. This would require a 22 percent increase in state education spending over time. In general, would you support or oppose this proposal? Sixty nine percent say they support it. Once again, I point out percent say they oppose. I, I hasten to point out. None of these people have any clue how much we already are spending 
on public schools. None of them know. None of them know the per pupil spending rates. None of them know that three of the top ten per pupil spending rate jurisdictions in the country are already in the state of Maryland. Right. But they are all for it. And there's no context to what 22% increase over time means. Right. Because it's it's 22% per year over a couple of years. Right. So it's a very short period of time. So here comes the next question. And this is what's critical. Stay tuned for this. And this is their this is their adults, registered voters, people who are all in favor of this supposedly. To fund these new education programs, would you support or oppose increasing the state income tax rate by half a percentage point? For a household with an income of $80,000, this would amount to $400 more per year. Okay? Yeah. $400 per year. So average person 40 uh 40 $400 a year. 49% oppose this. Right. 49%. Okay, 45% say they support, 6 have no opinion. Now, keep in mind, income tax increase, half a percentage point, people $80,000. Most of the people taking this poll probably under that. I don't know what the median income is. That's probably close to what it is in the state. 49% oppose. $400 a month. Now, keep in mind, $400 a year, excuse me. Is not anywhere near enough to fund what's being recommended yeah, by the Yeah, so we're talking about $400 a year is where people's breaking point is. Yes. But they don't realize that the Democrats want 6000 plus yes. a year. Between state and local. And you can go through that. So you can already see in that question right there that there's enormous political vulnerability. Yes. When, when folks start asking, when folks start hearing how much this is going to cost them, when they hear it's not going to be $400 a year, that you could add at least a zero and probably half besides 6000 a year, and it's going to be state taxes and local taxes, right. and it's not just going to be income taxes, it's going to be property taxes and, it's, and, and, and sales taxes and everything else, suddenly, I think, I think that poll shows you, suddenly these people who are all in favor of this increase aren't. Because there were a lot of people in that poll who were all in favor of a 22% increase until they were told they'd have to spend $400 a year more. And then they're like, I'm out. Right. And don't forget, you know, the Democrats have been trying to to push this, push the Kerwin funding mechanism. Yeah, they've talked, they've tried to talk about everything under the sun except income tax, sales tax. They've talked about legalizing weed and taxing taxing that. Not enough money in it. They've talked about sports betting. Right. Hey, that's great. Not enough money in it. Right. At some point, if the Democrats really want to pay for all of this, it's going to come down to income taxes, sales taxes, and God only knows what else they can come up with. Right, and to it's try gonna, to and it's going to require, and it's basically going to eliminate any increase in spending in any other area of the budget. By the way, so you're probably going to have to trim other areas of the budget with mandated spending already in place. We've already got a huge, a huge uh, structural deficit. This is something the governor keeps talking about. Right. There is no way that we can afford this plan without massive tax increases, yeah. and the governor is is not going to support that. So what? The the only de- way, let me rephrase that. The only we we could do it. Okay. The problem is that the Democrats have mandated so much existing spending, with eighty three percent of the budget already being mandated spending, right. that the governor does not have enough money in the budget under his discretionary authority to move the money around. If the Democrats really want to focus on funding education, they want to do it without tax increases. Let's cut back on some of the mandated spending, and then there might be a deal to be made. But we know the Democrats aren't going to want to do that. In fact, what Kerwin will be is a bill 
for a, a bomb of more mandated spending. That's right. how they're going to try to pass this. They're not going to try to pass this with a tax increase necessarily. Okay. The, you know, the, the income projections, whatever, they might not have to, I think they still probably will, frankly. Um, they're not going to be able to get it without honestly putting forward some kind of tax increase even next year. But they're going to they're going to try. And this is what's interesting, because one of the things the commission could have considered is delaying implementation of this, stretching it out over those 10 years to ramp it up to that full amount right. in year eight or nine or to kind of backload it. They didn't do that. They ramped it up very quickly. It's a very quick ramp up. This is where the this is where the teachers unions this summer, which most of you may not have been hearing about. We were talking about it. We're out protesting that they wanted full implementation of Kerwin. Right. Okay. That's what they were fighting over. And they won that fight, at least within those who are controlling this commission. So the the marching orders are set. There'll be a final meeting. They'll send the final report up to the legislature. But um, there, the battle lines are drawn. Yeah. And everything that we, th- you know, there was a chance. There was a small chance that maybe this work group committee could could dial it down a little bit. They didn't at all and in fact they've made it a lot worse when you look at the county formulas right. and where counties and localities are going to have to kick in and it's crazy well, it's absolutely insane and, and you know look we knew this was going to happen greg you know was sure. optimistic in saying that oh well maybe they were going to dial it back but as i wrote about a couple months i don't ago, know it was optimistic at least it was possible it was a possibility right but you know this result was baked in the cake this is what happens sure. when you only have what three Republicans, if that, on the entire funding commission. Uh, And, you know, Secretary David Brinkley, the uh, budget secretary, he didn't vote for this. He wanted nothing to do with it. MACO President Barry Glassman, the Hartford County executive, he didn't vote for this. He didn't want anything to do with it. Right. Um, You know, I mean, so. And and by the way, this commission has been in place for three years. Yeah. See, they see if the governor hadn't been reelected, there'd be almost no Republicans. Oh, yeah. Ben Jealous would be just rubber stamping this stuff right because he'd have a budget secretary that'd be all for it. He'd have, you know, uh, other folks on the on that. He'd be appointing members as the governor has the prerogative to do who would have been all in favor of this. So um, this is where we are. You're going to hear more if you're paying attention to us at Red Maryland. You're ahead of the game. Uh, But. Just more, and more. Go read Brian's piece and go look at that chart. It's it's crazy. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on my soapbox here again for a second, Greg. If you will indulge me, it's the audience that needs to indulge. Well, you. go ahead. Yeah. Listen, I know there were a lot of people who were down in Washington today, and there was some sort of support the president march. If you're not talking to your neighbors about this, if you're not talking to your friends about this. If you're not talking to your family members about Kerwin, then you're just wasting your time because it's great. You want to support the president. Okay, I get it. That's fine. But this is going to hurt everybody. It's going to hurt all of us. It's going to hurt your family. It's going to hurt your friends. It's going to hurt your business. It's going to hurt your job opportunities. It's going to hurt the resale value of your house. It's going to hurt your retirement. It's going to hurt everything. And if you aren't ready to fight that fight then you really need to re-examine what your priorities are. End of sermon. There you go. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about another fun issue in Maryland politics with the Bay Bridge. Stick with us. You are listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Did you know Red Maryland was on Patreon? By supporting Red Maryland on Patreon, 
Not only do you support Red Maryland's efforts to grow the conservative movement here in Maryland, but you're going to get access to premium content, meet and greets, cool bumper stickers, and more. To support Red Maryland Patreon, go to patreon.com slash redmaryland. Even $1 a month will help us grow the conservative movement in our state. And every dollar goes back into growing Red Maryland. That's patreon.com slash redmaryland. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash redmaryland. And thank you for your support. Hi, this is Greg Klein from RedMaryland.com. Since 2007, RedMaryland.com has been Maryland's leading conservative voice covering state and local politics in the old line state. We provide you with the inside scoop of what's happening across Maryland. Find out more at RedMaryland.com and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RedMaryland. You can also listen to our podcast wherever you get podcasts by searching RedMaryland. And don't forget to check out the Red Maryland segment on WGMD every Thursday at 7.50 a.m. as part of the Mike Bradley in the Morning Show. Now go Terps! There are plenty of amazing women politicians. Name one. Uh, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton? Awful. How is she awful? Hates freedom. You are invited to the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference, which comes at you on Saturday, January the 11th, 2020, from the Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. Join us as we hear guest speakers, including Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz, Delegate Kathy Shalega, Doug Mayer from the 2018 Hogan for Governor campaign, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers from WBAL Radio. Maria Sophia, the chair of the Maryland Young Republicans. Ian Patrick Hines, Rory McShane, and a host of other fantastic speakers. This conference will help prepare the groundwork for your next election success and the success of conservatism across the state. Tickets are on sale now. The conference sold out in 2019, so you are not going to want to miss out on buying your tickets today. Go to RedMarylandConference.com to learn how to buy your ticket, your sponsorship, or your vendor table. That's RedMarylandConference.com. Go buy your tickets today for the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference. We are back. Red Maryland Radio and the Red Maryland Network. I am Brian Curvis. He is Greg Klein. Should have had a better bumper song there. I apologize. Nothing like songs about heroin, right? But it was, it was, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> some folks in the administration might need heroin. That was Under the Bridge, of course, by Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> They've had a rough week is what I'm saying. They've had a tough week. This Bay Bridge thing. Oh, wow. And I'm going to, when we get into the story, I'm going to exp- I'm going to use a, you know this, Brian, because um, you studied uh, public policy. I'm going to use a, a technical public policy word when we get into oh, it. Oh, this will be good. This will be good. But uh, let, let's, let's, let's set it up. Uh, so, okay. So, okay. <laughs> We've been talking about the Bay Bridge a lot recently, okay? We've talked about the, the need to build a new Bay Bridge. We have been talking about that. Talking about it for a long time. One of the reasons we need a new Bay Bridge is because of the redecking of the Bay Bridge. The bridge needs work. The bridges need work. You Long know, these, overdue. These things, these things have a short shelf life. They need, uh, you know, in the cosmic scheme of things, of course. So you need to keep up maintenance. You need to, you know, make sure that you're repairing stuff. It's hard to do that when there's only two bridges because people need to get from 
point A to point B, regardless of what season it is. The uh, the redecking issue, redecking has caused issues. It has caused traffic. It is a nightmare. Yes, for and a I, lot I, of people. And and it was the work project that began a couple of weeks ago. I don't think certainly the administration anticipated how monumental uh, traffic would be affected by it, and how and how absurd and insane the backups would be. Right. And, you know, this we talked about it when it happened. This this all happened while the governor was in Australia and yes. they were trying to scramble, try to figure out what to do and open lanes and release tolls. So they've been dealing with this. And the governor had a um, uh, had a press conference this week where he talked about, uh, you know, the, what he was going to try to do to fix this thing. And I, 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 I got a couple of thoughts. And then, Brian, I'm curious to get sure. your thoughts on this. It was obvious that the governor was incredibly frustrated by what was going on. And knowing the governor a little bit, I think his frustrations were not so much that this is a difficult administrative thing to try to do, but that the administration and and the Department of Transportation, who, frankly, if you're talking about the people who've given the governor mo- the most agenda over his five years, department-wise, and I, I got a lot of great friends who work over there, this is the one who's given him a bit more heartburn than a bunch of the others. Um, I, I think they were they didn't anticipate this, so they didn't get in front of it. So they were kind of playing from behind here. He's got the comptroller, who's usually a pretty reliable ally, who's positioning to run for governor, who's mm-hmm. saying, let's kick the can a little further down the road, and the governor knows that's a no-go. So I don't, you know. So he's trying to do trying to make the best of a bad situation. The work has to be done. This is what the governor said. Long term, he's got his preference for how we solve this, which would be a third span in the same area. That's obviously not going to happen anytime soon. So in the short term, we're going to have work being done that has to be done that can't put off. It'll just be worse if we put it off. And, you know, he's kind of the, the, the public policy term for this, Brian, and you're familiar with this, uh, when you have a difficult situation mm-hmm. as, as uh, you know, in an executive branch that you have to deal with, um, the, the term is a shit sandwich. Yes. And that's what this is. And the governor realizes he's just got to eat this thing, man. He's just got to make the best of a really, really terrible situation. And, you know, look, he's going to get beat up for it. People are people, you know, you got schools on on Kent Island that kids are being held up. I heard one report, you know, they're telling their principals to make sure there's plenty of food if the kids are delayed a couple hours. I mean. Are all these kids on the verge of starvation? I, that seemed that was a weird report, but it people are being hung up, and they and it and it is nightmarish. And people are I don't I don't go near that on Friday afternoons now. I mean I've changed my schedule to avoid that. I'm sure a lot of other people have. There are people who commute over the bridge. This is a real problem. The emergency responders. Mm-hmm. It's a real problem. The governor's proposed some some detailed things that he's going to try to do to make it better. Uh, move electronic tolling, right. you know, to to try and, and do some other things. But at the end of the day, you know, um, it's just making it's just trying to make it as as the best they can under the situation. I mean, I mean, yeah, look, the bridges, you know, the 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 first bridge, the William Preston Lane Jr. Bridge, right, opened in 1952. Correct. That was a while ago. It's been a while. Um, at the second bridge. 1973, that's 45 years old. 
these bridges are old. I mean, they're and when you got to remember too. And I'm, I'm look, I'm no bridge engineer. Okay, let's make that perfectly clear. But if that was ever in any doubt, good. I'm glad we've clarified. But when that. you talk about a bridge over the Chesapeake Bay, you're talking right. about being open up to elements that a regular bridge is not going to be opened up to. When you start talking about sea spray and okay. salt water all and right. all that other stuff, so okay. it takes a toll on the the physical plant of the bridge. Not every bridge faces that. I see. Okay. This can has been, you know, Franchot wants to kick the can down the road. Sure. This can has been kicked. Yes. Down the road. Is this something for a the gov- long time? This is something the governor made a point of emphasis. You know, this is something conference. that O'Malley kicked down the road, Ehrlich sure. kicked down the road, Glenn Denning kicked down the road. It's been kicked down the road. And it's not hard to see why. Yeah, because it's a pain in the ass to fix it. That's why the governor wants to help, you know, wants to build a new bridge. Now, why one we need to build that bridge and why he wants to build it at its current location. Now, let's take you this this is the fun part of this, okay? Right. Uh the governor made a comment. You know, people don't want to build the bridge. Okay. People do not want to build the bridge at all. A lot of them being Democrats. And yeah, oh yeah. I mean it's it, He's taking shots. It's he's he's an easy target for this. Yeah, there's um, a lot of hay to be made because people are unhappy. Sure. So our our county executive here in Anne Arundel County, Stuart Pittman, the accidental county, the accidental county executive, the wealthy horseman. Stuart we can say Pittman, that here. Uh, is is floating 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 this plan? See what I did there? Floating. Ah. That as opposed to building a bridge, let's just have a ferry. Just to shuttle people back and forth, uh, and this this is the quote from from the governor. There you go. We have a local official in Anne Arundel County who opposes building a new bridge, opposes fixing the existing bridge, and fantasizes about ferries that would magically transport a hundred thousand cars and make all of the traffic disappear. Can you imagine the long backups on both sides waiting for the ferry? Yeah, he's he's spot on. I mean. But but see for how, for Stuart Pittman, Stuart Pittman doesn't care about solving the problem. He's trying to score political points. That that's all he's doing, and and that's what Democrats have been doing in the state for years and years and years. Right. You know they can talk about well we need more mass transit, we need this, we need that. They know that those things are not going to solve the problem. They don't care about solving the problem. Right. You know we we talked about it before. In their minds, the people who go to the Eastern Shore are the problem, and the solution is making it harder. So, but but while they're beating up the governor for traffic, they got to say that they're in favor of doing something to fix it. Meanwhile, they're they're not willing to work with the governor to actually fix it. They weren't willing to take the short term political hit, which is what this is, mm-hmm. without question, of actually fixing it, maintaining the way that it was. O'Malley was horrible because he raided all that money to maintain roads and bridges that that this governor has been. Um, he, he mentions it a lot. It gets mentioned, but it doesn't get a lot of fanfare. He's been making up for that and, and catching up on that kind of, that backlog of repairs of our state roads since day one of his administration. Um, yeah, so this was a zinger at uh, Stuart Pittman. And it was, a fun, it was a fun part of the – and I'm sure the governor's got a lot of frustration. Look, the, governor, the governor's willing to do the hard things, but, you know – he hates the cheap shots. Now let's let's. And he's not above giving as good as he gets. We know that about him. Now the accidental county executive had uh, talked sure to to Robert Lang of WBAL yesterday. Let's go ahead and play. Oh, that. You want to play some of this? Let's play this clip. Yeah. All right. Here we go. 
Uh, we are talking right now to Anne Arundel County Executive Stuart Pitt. Wealthy By husband. the way, Robert Lang, great reporter at WBAL. Indeed. Does a fantastic job. Always has. Men, uh, you heard the governor's comments today. Uh, before he talks about your proposal, let me get your reaction to the overall uh, plan from the governor to, among other things, uh, suspend cash tolls and have work go 24-7. I like it. He's listening. Um, and uh, we really appreciate that. He understands the problem. Uh, he's living in Annapolis. He sees it. And uh, especially moving fast to get those toll booths removed for all electric tolling um, is something that uh, we all welcome. Stop, stop, stop. Sorry there. Now, Pittman is saying all the right things because he knows he got he got beat up a little bit by the governor. I hasten to point out, by the way, that there are Democrats who are already complaining about electronic tolling and are complaining about the removal of the toll booths and talks about this administrative burden and all this other stuff about why it's so hard to have electronic tolling and you need to go to courts and it's got, and it takes a three-year backup to to appeal these things. Now, mind you, these are all things that were put into place by Democrats. But, you know, the governor can't keep anybody happy on this. Electronic yeah, tolling th- is something we should have moved to a long time ago, quite frankly. It, well, it's been suggested, but we're talking about electronic tolling of people who don't have easy pass or something like that, so you get a letter in the mail and right. you can pay it. I, I've done it. Many many of you have probably done it. It's not that bad. When people don't do it, that's when it gets a little more difficult. But but here, you're right. Stuart Pittman in this interview, at least at, so far, is pretty contrite. Yeah. You know, he's beating up the governor, but now that the governor is, is getting in front of this, oh, he's absolutely right. And it's and again, it's a cheap shot for him to say the governor's listening. Well, of course. The governor never wasn't listening. I, I think this is a frustration of the governor. That he, gets, he gets attacked for something like that. Because his administration should have been further, they should have been more prepared for this. And that and that's the real criticism, I think, of the administration, is that they weren't prepared for what was going to happen. Right. But what is your reaction to what he said about the ferry proposal? Well, <laughs> he, I can take a little ripping. Uh, you know, everybody likes to joke about ferries. Um, I mean... He, he, he did say a couple things that weren't accurate. Um, I, of course, did not say that ferries would remove 100,000 cars from the bridge, as he said. And, of course, I never said that I opposed the redecking of the bridge. Now, you're right. Stuart Pittman never said that there was going to be 100,000 cars that were taken off by the ferry. But Pittman opposes the construction of a bridge right. and said that we should do a ferry instead. Right. Hold that thought. When like, the problem is getting those 100,000 cars. Right. Um, what uh, you know? What he's referring to is that I have said that I think that we need to look at a list of things that can each, in their own, reduce a part of the traffic to chip away at it. One of them is all electric tolling, uh, bus rapid transit, uh, rail, more carpooling, right. variable yeah. tolling. These are the things that everybody looks at on on bridge traffic, and and I've said that we need to look at all of those. But that includes uh, the possibility of ferries at multiple locations across the bay. It would take some of the traffic, but of course, I never said it would. It would remove a hundred thousand cars. But again, that that's not the point. The point is, is that he opposes the construction of a new bridge, and says that ferries can be used to mitigate the issue. Well, this is this is what we're talking about. He doesn't really have a solution, so he's saying, "Well, I'm in favor of all these things. Let's let's put all these things on the table. Let's do all of the things that he mentioned." By the way, 
with the exception of the some of the tolling releases. You know, the rapid transit buses aren't going to solve the problem. Yeah. Ferries are not going to solve the problem. Trains aren't going to solve the problem. Train, train over the bay? Where, how does that even work? The, the best solution is the one, as Brian points out, that would ha- that would get the most cars over the bridge in, over the in, bay. In, in over the bay and in, in the biggest volume and that is a new bridge okay i don't think Stuart pittman's in favor of having a new bay bridge anywhere he certainly isn't where right. the governor's proposed doing it um now play the rest of this clip this is where okay and very quickly i want to uh just make it clear you believe that a ferry is an addition to not an alternative to another bay bridge span Absolutely. The ferries, ferries will take a, a small part of the problem away um, if they're done right. All electric ferries like they have in Europe, large ferries um, for weekend traffic primarily. And sure. they can go from, from various locations. And I think it, it adds to the experience of going to the eastern shore on a summer weekend. The kids would love it. Stuart Pittman yeah, has I'm said sure he's opposed would. to a new bridge. He, he has. He just well, flat out lied. He, he did. And, and if you pinned him on it and... You know, I think I think Robert Lang got him to say what he needed to say there. Uh, you know, he'd probably say, well, I'm in favor of it somewhere, but not here. And this is another thing we're going to hear from Democrats who are going to try to hem it all. Well, I'm in favor of bridge, but not this bridge or not that bridge. Right. Or not here. And so since they can't all agree on one, nothing happens, which is really what they want. And again, I, I think there's some fair comparison. And I think we can end it on this note. You can well, you can have the last word, but I'll end it on this note. Okay. Um, you see a governor and Governor Hogan's who's looking to solve a problem that exists, who recognizes that it's a difficult situation that doesn't have a simple, easy solution. He's trying to do the best he can with the goal of solving the problem. And that means making difficult political decisions. That means doing things that aren't politically easy, like building a third span, which hasn't been done, like biting the bullet and doing um, doing repairs that are going to be disruptive and, and difficult traffic-wise, and he's going to take a political hit for. Because at the end of the day, he wants to solve the problem, which is the traffic. Right. And you got Democrats on the other side who for years have been putting this off, who for years have been, have been just throwing out pie-in-the-sky policy proposals that are either non-starters or wouldn't work if they were implemented. And and going around trying to score political points rather than actually putting forward and fighting for and taking using their political capital to solve the problem. And I think that's the biggest difference you see between, you know, a Stuart Pittman and a Larry Hogan. I think the thing that's driving me crazy about this ferry discussion is the fact that people it's not just Pittman, by the way. Is that people just keep making this comparison to Washington State. No, the Washington State ferry system. Have you been to Washington State? No, I have not. Okay. I've actually used the ferry system in Washington State, okay? It's a very elaborate, very expensive way to move cars from one side of the state to the other. Now, Washington State has an estuary, Puget Sound, uh, which is similar but not exactly similar to, um, to the Chesapeake Bay. There's a ton of reasons why a ferry system works in Washington State, not the least of which the fact that the elements that you would be building a bridge at, uh, bridge in, are even harsher than they are at the Chesapeake Bay. The bridges, Puget Sound is much wider, uh, and you'd have to have such a large number of bridges because so much of what is going on, you know, there are a lot of islands in Puget Sound that you need to take a ferry to get to. And that's why they have a ferry system in place. You know, it's, it's a very elaborate system. It's a very well-run system. But 
you're talking, you're not, Puget Sound's a much larger body of water. You're moving people there from different places, and it's just not economically feasible. When you're talking about the Chesapeake Bay, which is what, maybe 50 miles long in the state of Maryland, north to south? Maybe? I, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, finish your you point. Know, you know, I mean, the I... point being is the fact that anybody who is suggesting ferries as a solution has no idea what they're talking about and has not looked at the ramifications. Of it's not a real solution. Yeah. That's, he knows it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. He knows we're not Seattle. He knows it's not Puget Sound. But he can say ferries and everything else in, while still opposing the third bay bridge span where right. it is and still look like he's trying to solve the problem without actually solving the problem. Right. Very, and very and well that's what he's doing. So, yeah, he's not serious about fairies. And fairies aren't a realistic option, which, by the way, and, and, and we could pick up super No Democrat. O'Malley didn't favor this. Glenn nope. Denning didn't favor this. Nope. No Democrat in the legislature has ever proposed uh, and, and put forward a serious program to have a fairy system that would relieve traffic just like they haven't really seriously put forward a third bay bridge span Mm -hmm. or mass transit or anything else that would resolve these issues and in fact they kick down the maintenance to make it worse because the democrats at the end of the day have a record of not really caring about this stuff and again i point out as i pointed out in my capital column a few weeks ago the fair there were ferries on the bay and the bridge put them out of business that tells you everything you need to know right how about a palate cleanser We'll you just want to do a palate cleanser? Let's do a palate cleanser, and then we'll go to the poll results. Uh, we'll go to the poll results. Palate How about some music? Cleanser. How about a tune? How about a tune? Isn't this great? Debbie Harry coming out for you. October poll results. 200 of you participated this month, so that is a an increase over last month. Thank yeah, you. thank you for everybody. Every county checked in except Talbot. Talbot. What's up with that? What's up with that, Talbot County? What's up with that, Talbot? So Everybody pe- else, though, thank you. Of the people who participated in the poll, 13%, that's 26, were Central Committee members. That's roughly 10% of the Central Committee, so we appreciate them. Yeah, and a little bit higher than normal, so that's good. Indeed. Uh, the age, typical, the typical age group, the right. 35 to 44s were the number one this week. The Brian Griffiths demographic. That's right. Um, Advertisers. These are your. Indeed. 21 to 21.5 percent were 55 or older. It's a nice it's a nice spread this week. It's not like it's not like some weeks where it's just a bunch of, you know, That's where, right. it's, where it's solid skewed one direction or other. So now if the Republican primary for president were held today, for whom would you vote? This isn't going to surprise you all. Donald Trump, 82%. There you go. That's who I would vote for. Mark Sanford and Bill Weld, 3.5%. Joe Walsh, 1.5%. Probably every one of those people thinks he's the drummer from the Eagles. Guitarist. Guitarist? I'm sorry. My bad. Okay. I don't know why I said drummer. I don't either. And I don't know. Do you know who the... 9.5%. Do you know who the drummer from the Eagles was? It wasn't Glenn Fry. it wasn't Glenn Fry. It wasn't Don Henley. It was Don Henley. It was Don Henley. It was Don Henley. I always thought that Phil Collins was like the only lead singer who was also a drummer. Well, there you go. Now you learned something. Now we've learned something. See, there you go. <laughs> we could talk about Pink Floyd. No. We're not <laughs> if the 2022 Republican primary for governor were held today, for whom would you vote? And the winner was... Robin Ficker, ah, with 22.5%. Someone put together a campaign. Well, all right. 
The Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford got 14.5% of the vote. He had been the perennial leader. In Michael Apple. Steele in third at 7%. Kelly Schultz and Andy Harris tied at 6.5%. Nick Kipke at 5%. Uh, and then it's kind of kind of trails off from there. We did get some write-in votes, Greg, including some people I took off the poll. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Warren Miller got 1.5%. Okay. And then Steve Shue. Alan Kittleman, David Smith. Don't Rick, forget about me. Rick and Polaria and Brian Murphy all got one vote. Uh, people are funny. And then we got other answers. We got yeah. Ben Jealous, which I'm trying to do the math on that one. Sure. And none from this sorry bunch. And so I again point out somebody took time when they could have named anybody right. else to say none from this sorry bunch. You could have named someone. I mean, and, and by the way, the Detroit and you'll. We'll post this as we all. By the way, we post the entire results every month at redmaryland. I've been doing so redmaryland.com like six years now. along with the show post. Someone asks us that a couple. Why don't you ever? Sh- we do it every month. If you go to the show post, scroll down, you'll see the complete results. Right. But you could have written in somebody else if yes. you didn't like the twenty-five names that we had listed. Yes. You people. These right, people. Let's move and on. Their let's toys. move on. If the Republican primary for mayor of Baltimore were held today, for whom would you vote? The winner, Shannon Wright, with 27% of the vote. 64.5% said don't know. Uh, Also appearing, Catalina Byrd got 5.5%. William Hurd, 2.5%. And David Anthony Wiggins voted for himself, most likely, 0.5%. There you go. If the Republican primary for Cecil County executive were held today, for whom would you vote? Um... A lot of people have no idea because eighty point five percent is what, what shrug said, emoji one. Uh, Danielle Hornberger got seven point five percent of the vote, and then six uh, percent for the incumbent Alan McCarthy and Ewing McDowell both got six percent. Uh, I think this is an open race, and and for those of you who uh, live up in Cecil County, uh, it sounds like it's a pretty wide open race. It, that's a fun place for politics, by the way. You Trust have told me, me that I many times. If the Republican primary for Congress in the 1st District were held today, for whom would you vote? Uh, Andy Harris, 56.5%. Jorge Delgado, 7.5%. I don't know, checking in at 36%. Yeah, I, I think I think Congressman Harris is in pretty good shape. I mean, he hasn't faced a serious primary challenger probably since he, since he was well, the he's, primary challenger he's running been, against He's been very vocal and very... Animated and defending the president and what's going on, the the craziness with this, you know, secret impeachment or whatever they're trying to do down there. So I, I think it. I think in the primary he's gonna he's gonna have an easy time of it. And Andy Harris will be appearing at the Red Maryland Leadership. He Conference will on Saturday, January eleventh, twenty twenty, at the DoubleTree Hotel in Annapolis. RedMarylandConference dot com. Buy, Buy your, your tickets. tickets now, and I guarantee you, he will be talking about the that process, that impeachment process, wherever it is in January. My guess is it won't be over. It may not have even started. It may not have <laughs> even started. Considering yes. the Democrats don't seem too inclined to actually. Yes, you're going to want anything. to. And and if last year was any guide, he gave a fantastic speech. Very popular. We're going to give him. He was a huge hit. Um, you don't want to miss it. RedMarylandConference.com. Get your tickets now. Plenty of good tickets still available. So do it. Don't wait. If the Republican primary for Congress in the second district were held today, for whom would you vote? And uh, our results got skewed by this just this afternoon. Actually. Yes. Um, Johnny Ray Salling, state senator, 21.5%. Right. Tim Faison-Baker, 14%. Liz Matori, 7.5%. Carl McGee, 3%. I don't know, 49.5%. Now, the results got scrambled 
Because as it turns out, Liz Matori filed to run for Congress today, 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 in the 7th Congressional District, the seat huh. formerly held by Elijah Cummings. Huh. Okay. Just going to let Liz. that sit there for a second. Yeah. Let that stew. Okay. If the Republican primary for Congress in the 3rd District were held today, for whom would you vote? Charles Anthony gets 21.5% of the vote. He was the nominee in 2018. Right. Rob Saferth, Saferth, excuse me, four and a half percent. I don't know. Checks in at seventy-four percent. There you go. Uh, so let's talk about Congress in the fourth congressional district. If that Indeed. were held today, for whom would you vote? Uh, the big winner. I don't know. Uh, among those receiving votes, George McDermott with ten percent, seven percent for Eric Loeb, and uh, I would definitely be in the I don't know because we live in that. I live in that district. Right. I think you do too. Um, let's. I. I Let's hope the field is not set quite yet. We have until, what is it, the January is the filing deadline? January, January 24th, I believe. January 24th. So, Indeed. If the Republican primary for Congress in the 5th District were held today, for whom would you vote? Brian Duval Cubero gets 4.5%, trailing Lee Havis, 22%. Uh, I don't know, 73.5%. This is a good time to mention I will be at the North, uh, Northern Prince George's County Republican Club meeting on uh, Tuesday, the 22nd at 7 nice. p.m. Lee might be there. Say hi to him he for is, me. He, he's the one who invited me to speak. So there you I'm go. Well, there. then he almost certainly will be there. Yes. Give him my best. All right. Now, let's talk about the 6th Congressional District. Yes. This is one that uh, uh, may be the most competitive. Uh, we'll see. Um, Neil Barrett, 32.5% support him. 10.5% Support Kevin Caldwell. I don't know at fifty seven percent. Has has um Delegate Parrot officially announced his campaign? No. The no. only person who's officially announced is Caldwell, who was the uh, who was the libertarian nominee for Congress in this district uh in the last election. So more to come. Yeah. If the Republican primary for Congress, the seventh district were held today, for whom would you vote? And this you can throw this answer out at this point. Uh William Newton, seventeen and a half percent, Reba Hawkins, sixteen percent. I don't know, 66.5%. Yeah. And, of course, that's Congressman Cummings' district, and uh, there'll be a special election. I think the governor has 10 so days what, to call that. Yeah, so the governor has 10 days to call the special election. After that, there will be a primary election, which will be a minimum of 65 days after the uh, the writ of election is issued. Correct. And then the general election will be sixty minimum 65 days after that. So the earliest there could be somebody in this seat is basically four and a half months from now. Right. Now, my prediction, and I'm just spitballing here. Oh, you're going to make a prediction. Here is that the general election will be the same day as the presidential primary, uh, which will at least save one election. You know, save That'll the, make some sense. Save the state board and everybody else from having one election. And then, uh, you know, there'll be a primary sometime in the 65 days or whatever before that. That would kind of put it in the... You could kind of do it in the late January, early February time frame and be okay there. Special elections often, I mean, sometimes they get national attention. I'm not sure this one will, but uh, because it's such a gerrymandered uh, Democratic district, they tend to favor candidates with high name recognition, mm -hmm. candidates with a lot of money who, again, can get high na name recognition. They tend to be very low turnout events. Extremely low. I'm sure that the Democratic side on this will likely be contested we'll see they're already oh, no, it will be look everybody in their brother who wants to be a congressman 
And I think you even mentioned this on GMD this morning. Every right. state senator, every delegate, every county councilman, every city councilman thinks they, they want to be a congressman. A lot of these guys are, and gals are going to have a free shot at this. So they they, they don't they have to have, give anything up to run nothing for. to lose. The only people who kind you of don't get, think they you don't think they'll they'll uh, demure in favor of uh, the widow Cummings, our, our Democratic I, State Party chair. I, you know, I don't think they will. Only based on the reaction um, to I don't her either. during I don't. her chairmanship. I don't know. It's completely speculative talk. It'll be interesting yes. to see how it turns out. I'm I'm assuming that she will run. It's way too early to have that conversation, though. Uh, it is too early to have that conversation. You're right. All right. So the next question, the last question, what else do you want to tell us? As Greg likes to call it. The comedy unloading zone. This yes. is when you can say whatever you want. Look, we ask questions. We mix it up. Um, you know, people, we, sometimes we ask just polling questions like we did this month. Sometimes we ask different things to try to get to know our audience a little better. Sometimes people object to that. But what we always do is give you, our listeners, our readers, a chance to tell us whatever you're thinking. And we are usually um, amused and disappointed simultaneously. Amused and bemused sometimes. By, by your results. So, with that said, Brian, will you start us off, please? Your county selection drop-down menu does not allow scrolling to the bottom. Yeah. Hey, Brian, could we have rank choice for answers? I don't know. Are there rank choice elections in Maryland? No? So, no, you can't. The next one's yours, buddy. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you for that. All right, here's one that does require some discussion, I think. I agree. Who is Strife? Is that the same Strife from RedState.com? Because the narrative there is and here are totally different. Let me let me start, Please. and I'll allow Brian to go. Yes, Strife, who is the founder of RedMaryland.com, is the same Strife from RedState.com. He is a Maryland resident. Mm-hmm. He is a good friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And he he is uh, he is one of our editors. He is he signs off on every one of our uh, endorsements. Mm-hmm. He is uh, he doesn't write that much for us anymore. If you go back and look at the archives at RedMaryland.com, you'll see he did. Obviously, he's pretty busy. Uh, I think he is the senior editor, the chief yes editor at RedState.com now, uh, which is awesome. Um, and RedState.com has is a very super pro Trump website they weren't always they have they have and he wasn't he didn't support trump in the primaries i have to say that in full disclosure in fact he he was opposed to trump in the primaries right. and you can see that at redmaryland.com as far as the narrative goes um redstate.com as a lot of conservative websites have 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 um seen a shift following the audience is the is the industry term and that is and that by the way unlike redmaryland.com Red State is a media company. Right. It's owned by Town Hall Media. I mean, there's, you know, that people are trying to make money doing that. Um, we, so so they're very pro-Trump. And, and as, Greg, Strife, as Greg points out about the media following it, as Sam Kennison says. Uh, live where the food is. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, I think that's that's part of it. Which isn't to say that Strife isn't sincere in his ardent support his for, for Donald Trump, his Seb Gorka level of trump support i'm sure he is but um that that has been a um uh that 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 is the case and that is a bit of a what's the word i'm looking for um uh i have no idea. change over time evolution evolution thank you that's the word i was looking for now we at red maryland don't focus on 
on national politics. We try very hard, uh, unless there's a local angle or something like that, we try very hard to avoid those things. Now, Brian has his opinions, which very, you know, Brian ain't being in, isn't going to be invited to write for the front page of redstate.com anytime soon. I'm sure. <laughs> Not so much. So so his views as far as what's going on in Washington would probably be very different from what you'd see at redstate.com. By the way, having said that, Stripe's well aware of what, what's going on at Red Maryland. has no problem with it. So um, there's no problem there. But there's not a narrative at Red Maryland that really has anything to do with the president. Now, if you want us to attack the governor because he's not supportive of the president. Um, not going to happen. I, Strife hasn't done that either. So, you know, I, I our goal is there's plenty of people in that federal bubble there's lots of stuff like all the stuff we talked about tonight that isn't ever going to be talked about on Fox News or the Dan Bongino podcast or RedState.com that we feel it's important to talk about. So that's what we do. Right. That's our narrative. Well said. I haven't seen enough of any of the local candidates to even recognize their names. And that is why the candidate surveys will be coming back. Right. Election focus will be coming back. Yes, very soon. Candidate endorsements, when appropriate, will come back. Yeah. We're trying to do our part to get the word out. You know, this is one of the things that's so frustrating. We hear this all the time. I don't know who any of these people are. They're not doing enough. If you see their names, Google them. Almost all of them have a Facebook page or a website. If you go to the Maryland State Board of Elections, they register an email or yeah, a phone number or a book. Yeah. You can find out all the information. You, these people would love to talk to you. You may have to be a little more proactive. If you're coming to Red Maryland and reading it and you care about these things, do that and then share it with your neighbors. These candidates are trying to get the word out. Believe me. They're not trying to hide their their flame under a bushel basket but they need help yes okay a lot of help they you if you want to see more conservatives elected you have to help them you can't just say well why aren't you doing more and it's your fault you're not winning if you're not willing to help them out one might say be the change you wish to seek in the world <sighs> someone could say that. uh i just don't know i really don't know although i don't favor the political impeachment games the democrats are playing I do not feel that Trump positively reflects the views of our party. I really wish that if it came to a point where Trump was tarnished too much, there was a replacement candidate we could immediately jump behind for the 2020 presidential campaign. Oh, well, that is a very different narrative than what you see at redstate.com. Hey, poll some issues. Hey, we have. Gary Collins, her mayor of Baltimore. Google Shannon Wright and her scam nonprofit. It's not registered anywhere. We need Gary in Baltimore. I know nothing about any of that, so... We just read them, folks. Just read them. Right for Baltimore. Right is right for Baltimore. Vote an actual Republican. Right for Baltimore. Right for Baltimore. Mayor! Let's get those folks in room with the Gary Collins people. That'll be a fun... Let's just get a camera in there. We should have a debate, Greg. We should. And, and, and perhaps we will. If all those people end up running, which I'm not sure all of them are. I'd like to run for office, but I don't know which one that I'd be more effective in. Well, that is well thought out, more well thought out than 95 percent of the people who put their name on the ballot. Um, that is thoughtful. <laughs> and since we don't know who you are or anything about you, we really can't. We really can't help. you. Run for local office. Everybody wants to be a congressman. You can do more running for local office, whether it's, you know, county councilman, state senator, whatever. Stay home. Do it. Don't worry about Washington quite yet. Go ahead. Um, 
It's a shame the repubes don't fight like the Democrats. Oh, look, see how clever they are? The wordplay, delightful. Bring back the conservative refuge. Did you write that? I did not. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I, I will give it due consideration. Write for B more. They're too busy to write Baltimore. They just have to have B dash more. They're hip. They're Do you cool. guys like eating fish? What's your favorite seafood dish? Crabs don't count. First off, I think crabs do count. I think crabs do count. And, good and that crab, probably and would. Good I'm not crab dip is. Yeah, I uh, I'm not. I eat fish. I you know I don't. It's not my favorite. I don't do it a lot. I I sushi is. A I was gonna say fish. sushi would probably be my favorite fish dish. Yes, yeah, I agree. Uh, I like sashimi if we're doing that as well. Yeah, my favorite sea seafood dish. I mean, look, I like a good crab soup. I like a good um, Maryland crab or cream of crab. I like both. So do I. But what's your favorite? Um. It's a hard I, one, I know. I like both. I probably go Maryland crab because that's what my mom made when we were growing okay. up. When we'd have a you know a crab feast and there'd be leftovers, she'd make that. Um, but I like both. I could do you know. And, and look, I like a good clam chowder too, as far as that goes. There are some places I know that they make like their own Maryland crab and their cream of crab, and then they right. just kind of meld them together and serve them in one bowl. Oh, interesting. I don't. I haven't tried it, but I w- I would be willing to try it. I would eat that. Get proactive and publish more, Greg. Yeah, th- you're adding that. You're, you're editorializing. Um, so I gotta, so I gotta do a podcast and write more. That's what I'm getting out of this. Yes. Okay. All right. Good to know. Good notes, folks. Hogan is a never Trumper, and he sucks. Baltimore City is a cesspool of crime and corruption. Trump 2020. Yeah. Write for Baltimore. Write for Baltimore. Let's focus on Board of Education races next. We've been talking about That's Board of Education idea. races for a long time. No, so but yeah, we, we focus on that, and people should focus on that. Feel free to use your most enthusiastic voice. Robin will cut the sales, state sales tax, two cents. <laughs> Great. That's good to know. Uh, Montgomery County Executive Mark Elrich needs to be removed slash resign from office, and he needs to take his very dangerous sanctuary policy with him. Ditto on Nancy Navarro and the other socialists and far-left extremists. We need to get Robin Ficker's property tax amendment on the 2020 ballot and get it passed to stop another 9% tax increase. At least, yeah, you, you definitely do. MocoPetitions.com. Robin should have been our county executive instead of the self-admitted socialist named Elric. I hope whoever wrote this worked their ass off for him. Because uh, I, 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 I would feel like I, I know who wrote this. I, I I hope they did, and they did. Okay, well then, good for them. They needed more people who also are listening to have helped them out. If Robin changes his mind, decides to run for office again, we wait a minute. Why is he organizing an effort if he? Okay, all right. just read it. We need to make sure he wins. He's the only one who's serious-minded and relentless about cleaning up all the corruption and crap in Montgomery County. Robin delivers. He's the only one who's serious-minded and relentless. Wow. I, that, that goes a long way to explaining the problem. <laughs> Robin will cut the sales tax, state sales tax, two cents. He's the only one who will cut taxes. How? how would, I'm, yeah, I'd just, love to hear more about how he would do that. And perhaps we could because this commenter says Robin Ficker should speak at the Red Maryland Leadership Conference. In Deep Blue Montgomery, Robin has had more success than anyone at advancing logical policy through ballot initiatives. He could teach the other blue counties what that path forward is. I don't even think Robin bought a ticket last year. No. No. 
Mayor of Baltimore? One changed her registration when she filed. One's in jail. One can't be found. Right for Baltimore is the only choice. All comments, alleged. Uh, or not. I don't know. I have no idea. Rhinos, jailbirds, oh my. Right for Baltimore is the only choice unless you want more of the same mess. Should the House of Delegates stand for election every two years? Can I comment on this? Because I saw Absolutely. this. Absolutely. I don't know what the, what the commenter is asking. Are, are you saying... Should we change our state constitution to have that happen? Are you saying? Are you saying that's what that's, I think they're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, I I would say no. I don't think that would actually help anything. In fact, it would probably be worse because you'd be having elections for delegates uh, during presidential election cycles, which would help Democrats. Well, let me let me let me let me tweak it a little bit. Okay. Okay. What if we did? like Virginia did, for example, where the state senator senators are elected for four years, delegates are elected for two, but we shifted the elections to off years. Well, that'd be better, but I, years. but I don't think you're going to you're going to get that. I think I think oh, more I, I think more than having two years for delegates, if we had four years, I think is fine. If we had single member delegate districts and term limits, that would be better than having delegates for two years, in my opinion. That's fair. I think it's you. Uh, okay. Will the Pimlico plan pass? Nice Good question. Use, nice use of alliteration. By Good way. question. Dave Wallace for U.S. Senate 2022. Brian Murphy, Charles Lawler 2022. Gov. Lieutenant Gov. Kathy Shalega should stay in the House of Delegates and stop upsetting other races. Um, <laughs> Brian Murphy, Charles Lawler. Charles Lawler's left the state. <laughs> So I don't think he's going to be running for anything. I love soon. people are funny, man. It's awesome. I, I get humor. This is great for your choices for the sixth district. I would like you to please include Sheriff Chuck Jenkins as a potential candidate, as there is a movement to draft him to run. No one wants Parrot or Huff. Well, now we didn't include uh, Senator Huff in this. Correct. And and I uh, you you can address the criteria of the poll, but. Unless Sheriff Jenkins has expressed some interest in running, we wouldn't include him in our poll. If there were an active, like, legitimate draft effort that somebody other than this commenter has heard of, I would I would include him. That doesn't bother me. But generally speaking, the criteria we've had for including people in the poll are people who've either filed to run or announced that, that they're um, either announced that they're running, filed to run, or are actively considering it. Um, I think Sheriff Chuck Jenkins is more popular in the minds of Sheriff Chuck Jenkins and Chuck Jenkins supporters than he actually is. Um, well, now, so, see, I don't know about that. I don't I, know. I mean, it's, I, it's, I think he could be a very great candidate, but I've never heard Sheriff Jenkins ever publicly give any indication that he's interested in being anything other than the best sheriff for Frederick County that he can be. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I don't. Why would you, serious question, why would you leave being sheriff, which is basically a sinecure at this point, he can be sheriff for life, to run for Congress? To serve our great republic and to make America great again, Brian. You're okay, I'm looking at it from an too, actual you're too practical cynical. perspective. Well, that's, that's your problem. Oh, well, there you go. I would like to see full restoration of states' rights under the U.S. Constitution 10th Amendment. At present, the federal government exercises powers and authorities that is not authorized by the Constitution to exercise. These are mainly domestic social welfare issues, e.g. health care and education. We need a state governor with the temerity to exercise Tenth Amendment nullification of unconstitutional federal government actions. Greg, you're a lawyer. 
Tell me. Uh, good luck with that. I, by the way, I mean, okay. has no one ever challenged this before? Did the air raid go the way of the conservative refuge? Well, yes and no. Um, Craig and I actually talked about this off air last week. Basically, the air raid, other than it turned into just Brian just yelling at the microphone, oftentimes about things completely unrelated to what's going on in Maryland politics. And 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 one of the things that was noted that was not a note from me, by the way. That was a self realization by Brian. Yeah, and. You know, to me, that's not necessarily the best use of my time at this point. And also, it's a lot. I would rather spend that time trying to make this show and improve this show and write good stuff than, you know, have to deal with sitting down on a, over the weekend and edit a show. And that takes like an hour and a half to do. And it just became more of a pain in the ass than it was actually worth doing. So I'm not saying it's gone forever. I'm just saying it's probably on on a on a extended hiatus at the moment. Which is pretty much what you said about the yeah, I was going to say, yeah, message. that sounds awfully familiar. Should Governor Hogan consult with the RNC redistricting attorneys about redistricting? I don't know. I, I think he's got his own people. I don't know if the RNC I see, I don't the RNC will care about congressional redistricting, so there may be some coordination there or some discussion. I don't know. But they don't give a rat's ass about Local no. legislative redistricting, which, which is, is what we thing, really care which about. Which is the thing we care about. Right. So, I have been vehemently against Greg's stance against legalizing marijuana. To each their own, right? Non-aggression principle and all that. But as I sit in the airport coming back from a town that has, I have to say, weed just smells. The entire town just reeks of this stuff. Just putrid. No thank you. Uh, however you get there, Welcome. Trump's decision to let the Kurds be slaughtered is yet more proof he's human garbage. Just reading, though. That is not the narrative you get at redstate.com. <laughs> is Hogan and company ready for redistricting? And is there any chance of us coming out with some improvements given the D supermajority? Also, any idea why Johnny Ray Stalling running to get crushed next year in the Trump downdraft instead of waiting until 2022? Let's answer these questions separately. Okay. Um, they're both excellent questions. They're both perfectly good questions. There is a very good chance that we will get better legislative redistricts, legislative districts under redistricting um, under Governor Hogan. And we've talked about this before, but just to recap, legislative districts will go into law 45 days after the governor introduces a plan unless the General Assembly passes its own plan independently of the governor's plan. At this point, I still I'm optimistic and say that the General Assembly, the Democrats are not going to be able to come together and pass a plan that keeps everybody happy. Yeah, here, bottom line. It, it, let me let me add to that. Uh, and you ask, are they ready for redistricting? I think they are getting ready. We've talked to folks. If you came to our conference last year, you heard a presentation from um, the, from the administration on that very topic. Mm-hmm. Um, they are getting prepared. They will be prepared. This is this is another defining issue of this administration. So they're going to be prepared. If your st- if your standard is, which I think is a very reasonable one in your question. Um, can we come out with some improvements over what we have now? Yeah. If that's the standard, yeah. We almost can't do any worse than what we have now. Right. So there's lots of good strategies that would lead us to something better than the supermajority we have now. But let's be clear that when it comes to congressional redistricting, that the plan still has to be passed by the General Assembly. So it's not going to be nearly— right. That's it. And, and You're not getting a 4-4 four, four di- four, four split. 
is the point I'm, you know, don't, yeah, and don't ag- get your and, and, and again, even with that, you can't really do much worse. I mean, it's 7-1 now. So At the very least, if the lines are drawn more efficiently and compact, that's an improvement. Even right. if it's still a 7-1 to one district, it still at least looks better and isn't so embarrassing right. for Maryland. And there's lots of things as far as legis- state legislative redistricting that I think can improve. Now, is it something that's going to make Maryland a purple state? No. But can we improve over the supermajorities that we have, particularly in the state Senate? Yeah. I don't think that – I think that's very, very doable. I agree. Um, so now let's question. take the second part of this, which right. is about Johnny Ray Salling running uh, next year and to likely get crushed. Right. You know, look, it's a free shot. His Senate seat is not up until 2022. Right. He doesn't know what his Senate seat's going to look like, frankly, in 2022. Um, he has nothing to lose and everything to gain from running for Congress this year. Uh, at the very least, he gets name recognition if he decides to run again in 2000 and uh, in 2022. He gets to build his list. He gets to get more volunteers. He gets to run. Assuming he doesn't lose the primary, which would be pretty much a complete and total embarrassment for him, quite frankly, no right. disrespect to the other candidates running. You know, there's 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 nothing but upside for him. Yeah, there there, there is no real downside. And if he if it turns out that he does it in a year where he's not giving up his current office mm-hmm. and he realizes it's it's not worth it's not a fight worth going, then he can run for reelection to the state senate. Right. So it makes sense to have this, as Brian points out, it's tough to get elected to Congress. It's tough to beat an incumbent. It usually takes more than one cycle to do that, yeah. even for somebody who's successful. So it's it's smart to do it. Now, even with the best case scenario, could State Senator Salling win in that district, especially the way it's drawn now? That's still a long shot. Of let's course. be honest about it. But, but good question. Yeah. I think it's you. Remove Nick Kipke and Kathy Jalega from their positions and their seats as delegates. I like how, by the way, how they were able to spell Nick Kipke and Kathy Jalega correctly, but misspelled delegate. Yeah, well, they got excited. Between them and Hogan, the Republicans took a beating in the last election. Right for Baltimore! Isn't Wiggins in jail? I have no idea how Question I would mark. know that. Question mark. Remove Brian Frosch as Maryland AG. Waste of time and taxpayer money to be such an idiotic anti-Trumper. Can I comment on this? You Can- may. I, I, we opposed Brian Frosch as Maryland AG. We supported Craig Wolf. There was an election. How do you expect to remove him? I mean, are you suggesting other, anything other than winning the election the next time? Because that's really the only way it's going to happen. And so I know what we were doing to support Craig Wolf. I wonder what the commenter was doing. Right. And all of us could have done much, much more. And, and you know, that's what it's going to take. This stuff, remove him. They should resign. Why should they resign? They won the election. If you're going to beat these folks politically, you have to beat them at the ballot box. Here, here. Sucks to know GOP has abandoned Maryland as lost. Trump and his team aren't even are even going after Minnesota now. But Maryland seems to have even not even been in the conversation. Someone please hashtag drain the swamp in Maryland and give our hardworking people a chance to thrive or at the very least, a chance to survive. Hashtag enough is enough. Right, Rhino Hogan? Well, there's a lot here. Let me let me have the first shot, and then I'll give Brian the last word. Um, the National Party presidential candidates, Maryland has never been part of the conversation, ever. I mean, not since 88. Okay? Um, never. Never has been. Bush never took it seriously. Um, 
McCain. I mean, they may have come here and done fundraisers or done rallies because it's close to Washington and there's lots of money to be raised here. But Maryland's never been in play ever. Um, If you want to improve what's going on in Maryland and drain the swamp. Larry Hogan is I know you don't want to hear this because you call him a rhino. He's the, the template for how we can do that. He's a Republican governor who's been elected and reelected, who's systematically opposing higher taxes, who we just talked about the redistricting stuff, has a 71% approval or 70% approval rating, depending on which poll you look at. That's how Republicans can drain the hashtag drain the swamp. Um, you show me somewhere where Donald Trump gets anywhere close to a vote total percentage that Larry Hogan got, and then I'll say that's a recipe for how we can win in Maryland. If you and and this is what I say to the other person, if you want to if you want to change things, you have to win at the ballot box. You have to win elections. If you're not in it to win elections, then you're just wasting your time. Well said. There you go. Was that the last one? It was. There you go. So there's that. So it's end on a downer note, but <laughs> well, you know, people people raise the issue and we have that discussion, and I, you know. And I bet Strife would agree with me on that, by the way. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this week's Strife, episode. Strife, by the way, endorsed oh. Larry Hogan. Joined us in endorsing Larry Hogan. Indeed. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this week's episode of Red Maryland Radio. Of course, be sure to stay tuned to redmaryland.com, the home base for all things in Red Maryland, where apparently we need to post more and we need to write more. Greg. Okay, that's, a, that's, that's fair. Um, now I'll start doing the Conservative Refuge because you don't have another podcast. <laughs> no, you won't. Because you're going to be doing election focus here soon. I am. Election focus will be coming back. Greg, uh, Greg, compiling the list of names of people to reach out. To I do have a list. I do have a list. Start uh, scheduling those interviews, and they will hit your feed soon enough. Be sure to subscribe to Red Maryland Network Power Programming, particularly uh, at this point, Red Maryland Radio itself, the flagship. Just go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, whatever you, wherever you get a ch- catch podcasts, whatever pod app you use. Just Podcatcher. search Red Maryland. Subscribe. Hit the like button. Hit the uh, give us a five star review, will you? Uh, of course, we are also uh, coming up again on the Red Maryland Leadership Conference, redmarylandconference.com, Saturday, January 11th, 2020, Doubletree Hotel, Annapolis, Andy Harris, legislative leadership, two cabinet secretaries, and we're working on more people. So buy your tickets. It's going to be a buy great a event. Sponsorship. Buy a vendor table. Be there. We, we help us out. We've been through this. We know people are going to wait. Don't wait. Buy a ticket now. It's great. It's good. It's going to be a great conference. Do it now. Mark it on your calendar. RedMarylandConference.com. Plenty of tickets available. And, of course, all our patrons, patreon.com slash RedMaryland, all, all our co-producers, thank you for your support. Thank you. Um, we're, we're, uh, we're doing very well, actually, right now, compared to a lot of podcasts, quite frankly. It's taken off. And, again, even those $1 contributions Every make dollar a big helps, deal. Man. And everything. Look, this, you know, this, this step and repeat. And one thing, and one thing, these headphones, these right. mic covers, and one thing that we will have very soon because Brian is committing to make it available is our patron exclusive uh, history of Red Maryland podcast yes. that we've been teasing for a while. We now are at a point where we can start pushing that out. So get on Patreon now, patreon.com slash Red Maryland. Thank you. Uh, of course, we are on social media, Facebook.com slash Red Maryland. We are on Twitter at Red Maryland. We are on Instagram at Red Maryland. Please invite your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, co-religious, in-laws, outlaws, everybody that you know to like our page and please share our stuff. Look, Greg mentioned it when we were talking about the poll earlier. 
so few people have any clue what's going on in the state of Maryland. And if you talk to your neighbors and they talk to their neighbors, people can know what's going on and we can start beating back some of this Democratic nonsense that's going on here in the state of Maryland. So post our stuff in the Facebook groups, um, you know, pages, neighborhood groups, community association groups, Nextdoor, LinkedIn, Friendster, whatever. Um, just share the stuff and please know that you're a force multiplier who helps Red Maryland grow and get our message out there. If you want to contact us, redmaryland at gmail.com is how you can email us. Good old-fashioned electronic Or mail. call or text the Red Maryland Talkback line at 410-205-4875. What's that number? 410-205-4875, and we will feature your comments on a future Red Maryland program. Greg, any final thoughts? Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating in the poll. For everybody here at the network, thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network.